Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good, as always, to see you. I want to add uh, to what Chris said earlier about Father's Day. I really would encourage you to uh, make uh, coming to worship part of your Father's Day celebration. It's going to be a great uh, day for us to be together. Uh, and also, I want to just add to that, we're going to have a special Father's Day message that I know uh, God will use to speak uh, to our hearts. So I just really hope you will make plans uh, to be here and be part of this Father's Day experience that we're going to have. Now today, uh, we're wrapping up our series of teachings on what God says about our emotions. And today, we're going to be talking about an emotion that really none of us here ever struggle with. And so you can relax and you can think about all the people who really ought to be here because they really need to hear this. Well, you know that's not true. <laughs> and what we're talking about today, if you haven't looked it up already, is the emotion called envy. And if you have any self-awareness at all, you know what I said isn't true at all. The truth is all of us struggle with envy at some point in our lives. But it's an interesting thing. Hardly anyone admits it. Envy is closely related to greed. And one of the things that they share in common is what I told you about a few weeks ago when we talked about greed. No one thinks they have a problem with either one of these things. It's like I told you a few weeks ago, as a pastor, I've been a pastor for over 35 years, and still to this day, no one has ever confessed to me, you know, Pastor Mike, I have a real problem with envy. Still hasn't happened. Truth is, though, almost all of us do. And envy is a dangerous and a damaging emotion. It is an emotion that will destroy your life if you let it, and Maybe some of you already have. Here's some of what God's word says about envy. Proverbs 23, 17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14, 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. If you read the end of Romans chapter 1, you will see Paul that tells us that envy is one of the signs of a depraved mind. It's an example, he says, of wickedness, evil, and depravity. You can go to James chapter three, and James says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder, and every evil practice. Envy, James says, is demonic. He says it leads to disorder and every evil practice. And it's no wonder with these things in mind that the apostle Peter writes this. He says, so get rid of all evil and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So God in his word forbids envy. Envy is something that harms us. It harms other people. It, it, there's a good reason that envy has historically been considered to be one of the seven deadly sins. So if you think about that, if envy is this demonic and damaging and destructive, it's so dangerous, then why do we ever envy? And then how can we expose the envy that's so often in our hearts and in our lives now, this message is about exposing envy, and I'm about to explain to you some of why I chose that title, but we're going to look at three questions that expose envy. And the first question is really simple. It's a what question. What is envy? We need to define it. We need to understand exactly what envy is. And let me start with this. Envy is an emotion you feel when you want something you don't have, and you're discontented because someone else has what you don't have. Envy often moves from discontentment into active resentment toward the people who have what you don't. Sometimes we end up hating the people who have what we don't. Envy is kind of like a bucket of crabs. If you put one crab in a bucket, the, the crab can climb out. But if you put a, a bunch of crabs in the bucket, none of them ever leaves. You know why? Well, as soon as one crab starts climbing up out of the bucket, another crab reaches up and pulls that first crab 
back down. It's kind of like envy. If I can't have it, I don't want you to have it either. Or maybe some of you are hearing some of this and you're kind of thinking, you're wondering, well, I don't know, Pastor Mike. I mean, envy doesn't really seem all that bad. The other emotions that we've been talking about in this series, you know, shame and greed and anxiety and guilt, stuff like that. I mean, it's easy to see how those things are damaging, but what's the harm in a little envy? You know, what's the problem with kind of wanting some stuff that you don't have that some other people have? Well, the Bible makes it clear that envy is dangerous, that it will damage and eventually it will destroy your life if you let it. And so we're gonna explore why as we define this. And I wanna start with Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is really a psalm about envy and what it does to us. And the psalmist, he, he, he begins by describing what happened to him as he gave in to envy. And then as he go, you go through the psalm, you see that he exposes the envy in his life and he finds freedom from it. This is how the psalm begins, verses one through three. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he says, he, he describes his envy as wanting someone else's prosperity. And, and, and I've heard, this is kind of another definition of envy, I've heard envy described as wanting someone else's life and then resenting them because we don't have their life. Wanting someone else's life, is that ever you? The psalmist says, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. So envy almost cost him his life, he said. Why? Well, as we're gonna see, envy is uniquely dangerous. There's several reasons I'm gonna give them to you. The first one is that envy is dangerous because it hides. I've already kind of alluded to this, but more than in almost any other sin, envy is a sin that we don't think is our problem. And so envy deceives us. It's just kind of built into it. We don't think that we envy. And that gives envy kind of free range to do damage in our lives. If you go to the end of Psalm 73, the psalmist is realizing how envious he become. He says this in verses 21 and 22, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. In other words, I'm, I'm grieved, I'm embittered because I'm envious and I don't have some things that I, I wish I had. He says, when that was happening, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. See, the psalmist was saying, my heart was telling me that life isn't fair and that's what envy always thinks. Envy thinks, why do they have that? And I don't. It's just not fair. Why do they have that? And the psalmist recognizes, when I, when I thought this, I was senseless, I was ignorant. He said, I wasn't really seeing my envy. Envy was hiding itself from me. And that causes me to ask a question. I want to ask you a question right now. Is it possible that some of the stresses and some of the ongoing problems and challenges and some of the persistent conflicts in your life are because of envy? Would you be willing to ask yourself, is envy at the root of some of my life's problems? Maybe you are always critical of someone at work, maybe even here at church, that particular person is just so irritating you, they just bug you, you're, you're always critical, finding fault. Is that because of envy? Maybe you're just filled with self-pity. You're always unhappy with your life. You're always feeling sorry for yourself. Is that because of envy, you don't have what you think you should have. Maybe the reason you're angry all the time is envy. Uh, can you see the, the envy hidden in your life and it's emerging maybe in these other areas? Here's one of the tests you can always take for envy. Uh, when someone you know fails, do you kinda like it? Anybody willing to admit that one? You know, when certain people fail and they fall on their face, you like it. You say, serves them right. 
The Germans uh, have a great word for this. I love this word. It's uh, pronounced schadenfreude, and, and it literally means something like pain, joy, or harm, or damage, joy. And it's like you find joy in other people's pain. See, if that's you, that's a sign of hidden envy. And it's dangerous because we don't see it. It's doing its work underneath the surface. There's a second reason that envy is dangerous. Envy sucks the joy out of life. It really does. In fact, envy takes away more joy maybe than almost everything else. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes. I don't really have it on the screen for you, but you can check it out later. It's Ecclesiastes 4.4, and it says that all of man's labor and achievement, all the toil, all the hours, and all the energy that we pour and pour and pour into work, we're working, we're working, we're working, we just can't quit, we just can't quit. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.4, it's all because of envy. This takes the joy out of your life. You can't quit, you can't stop because you want more and you just can't get there. I already read uh, Proverbs 13, uh, 14.30, but we need to hear it again. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. There's a scholar named Joseph Epstein who has written a book on envy. It's kind of an interesting thing. He's writing a book on envy and he's categorizing it as one of the seven deadly sins, but he's actually an atheist. He's a he was a literature professor at Northwestern University, and he, he wrote this as kind of interesting observation about the seven deadly sins. He said, giving in to sloth and laziness is rather pleasant. Giving in to the loss of temper entails a release that is not without its small delights. Lust and greed and pride, they, they bring quite a bit of pleasure for quite a long time. Only envy is absolutely no fun at all, draining all joy from you from its very first moment. We have all felt envy's desperate, deep, soul-destroying, lacerating stabs. So I just wanna ask you, how much joy has envy drained out of your life? Here's the third reason that envy is dangerous. Envy poisons your ability to enjoy the life that you have. You see, envious people, well, they can't enjoy the good they do have in their lives. And maybe you can call envy comparisonitis. You see, it's okay to compare, and it's kind of natural to compare. You're never gonna stop, I think, comparing yourself to other people completely, but envy always takes comparison way too far. And here's how you know that envy is poisoning your soul. Nothing for you is ever good enough. Your job isn't good enough. Your body isn't good enough. Your marriage and your kids aren't good enough. Your, your church isn't good enough. Your, your life isn't good enough. Nothing is good enough. You're always finding fault. You're always negative. You're always critical. You can never, never just relax and enjoy the moments that God is giving you. And the reason is you're always looking out and you're always comparing your life with someone else's life and their life always looks better and you want their life. Envy, if you can think about it like this, is a, a weed that grows in the soil of comparison when you compare your life with someone else's. And there's a lot of ways we do comparisons. A lot of times it's about possessions. You know, maybe today this happened, maybe just before you came into service, you know, maybe a friend of yours got a new car and this day when you got out of your car, you saw them getting out of your, your new car and before you saw them getting out of their new car, you liked your car. <laughs> but now, now you don't like your car. <laughs> now you want a new car, you want that car. You know, we compare possessions. Or, or maybe, maybe she posts a picture, you know, of the cookie she just made, but you're not, really, you're not really looking at her cookies. You're looking past her cookies at her new kitchen, at her perfect countertops and her perfect gourmet oven and, and those perfect cabinets with those perfect stupid little pull knobs and that stupid chalkboard back on the back of the wall in her perfect little kitchen. And you think, I hate her cookies. I hate her cookies. <laughs> See, we compare and we envy what people possess. Sometimes, though, we make comparisons with other people's 
relationships, right? Now you see your friends' marriages and they all seem healthier and happier than yours. Or maybe you're not married and it seems like every other person you know is married and you start to think thoughts you don't like. Why am I not married? I'm more attractive than a lot of those people that are married. I'm a better person than they are. You know, why am I not married? Why are they married and I'm not? By the way, there really is nothing wrong with, with grieving that you're not married if you wanna be. That's okay. But if it turns to envy, where you resent others for having what you want, or where you feel sorry for yourself because you don't, then it's envy and then it's destructive. Sometimes it's, you're looking at someone else's family and you know, have you ever you know, gotten, this is summertime, it's not Christmas yet, but Christmas is coming and you know, you get those Christmas cards where the family looks so perfect. They're all in matching outfits. Even the dog is wearing the same outfit as everybody else. And they're all smiling, right? They're all smiling. And you're finding yourself wishing you had their family because you know when you take your picture of your family, everybody's gonna be yelling at each other or they're just gonna be on their phones. You know, you wish you had their family. Sometimes we don't compare ourselves uh, with others about their possessions or maybe their relationships. Sometimes it's comparing with their circumstances. Like one of your friends, they, they posted family pictures from their trip to Hawaii again, and you can't even afford to go to Santa Cruz. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you wish you had someone else's body. This is a huge problem today. Envy destroys your ability to appreciate your own body because someone else always has a more better body, right? Just better than yours. And our culture, our culture just compels us and pushes us and forces us to envy the beautiful, right? It's called marketing. And we're just bombarded by pictures of beauty all the time, and those pictures are designed to try to get us to, to, to buy stuff that will make us more beautiful, and as a result of that, it ends up so very often that we just don't appreciate who God made us to be. You know, there's a whole group of young people who hate the way they look. And that's one of the reasons why millions and millions of people have downloaded the Facetune app, right? Maybe it's not that for you. Maybe you just wish you had someone else's job <laughs> or you wish you had someone else's income or you just wish you had bought a house in 2009, <laughs> right? All God's people said? And if I can be honest with you, you know, as your pastor, sometimes I, I feel this kind of thing because, you know, as a pastor, I, I, I work on the weekends. And so, you know, sometimes on the weekend, I just don't want to look at social media because I don't want to see y'all posting pictures like, hey, I'm at the beach and hey, I'm at the game, you know, hey, I'm enjoying this or I'm enjoying that. And I find myself sometimes thinking, you know, well, fine, I'll just serve God and I'll just love Jesus while you always indulge your flesh and you can have your fun now, but judgment day is coming. Now, I, I didn't say envy is rational, okay? You know, right? Or maybe your struggle is more serious. Maybe yours is, I just wanna have a baby. I just wanna have a baby. And it just seems like this is the fifth reveal party this month for one of my friends. And like, I want to be happy for them. I really, I really do, but I really do want a baby. You know, sociologists say that envy seems to be a bigger problem for our generation maybe than any other before us. And, and that's because social media really is designed to play on, on that. I mean, do you need to be reminded, maybe today, that when you look at other people's lives on social media, you're seeing a filtered image? Someone has said, we, we compare our behind-the-scenes footage with other people's highlight reels. And that kind of describes social media, right? I, I heard a story this week about two moms who were in a life group together, and 
one day they were sharing with each other and they confessed to each other they, they had hated each other because of social media. And one of them was a working mom who said, I just hated you because you're the perfect stay-at-home Pinterest mom who, who's like always doing crafts and always, always has this structured playtime with her kids. It just made me feel so guilty. And the other, the other mom said, well, I hated you because you have a life and like you're out in public and you get to do things. And I haven't had my hair in anything but a ponytail or, or had an adult conversation since like 2015. Two people longing for what the other person has and it's just all based on this curated image on social media. I mean, think about it. Never before in world history could we so accurately compare our popularity to the popularity of other people, right? I mean, when I was a kid, you just kind of had to randomly guess how unpopular you were. You know? Now you can statistically measure it and you can know without a doubt, I'm a loser. <laughs> you know, there's followers and likes and you can compare yourself to other people's and they always have more than you, it seems like. Re- researchers have demonstrated that the more we compare with others on social media, the, the less satisfied that we become. Actually, it's always, it includes this, the more time you spend on social media, the less happy you are. It's a pretty straight line comparison studies show. One study shows that a third of college students who spend just 30 minutes on Facebook and Instagram looking at their peers said that they were significantly depressed. It just took 30 minutes. Someone said, maybe we should call it Envygram or in your Facebook. I mean, envy, envy really does surround us. And I think we, most of us don't realize how deadly the poison of envy is. We, we, we can end up thinking that envy is just kind of a, a petty jealousy that comes from wanting a little bit more. But the Bible treats it as far more serious. What is Envy. Well, let me give this one to you. In the end, envy is resenting God's goodness to someone else and overlooking God's goodness in our lives. Do you have a problem with the emotion called envy? Well, we need to understand this next question because of the damage that envy can cause. And, and it's simply the question, well, what causes envy? Now, the Bible makes it clear that all the problems we have in life come out of our hearts. They come from internal things, and envy is no different. Envy comes from our heart, and so we we need to look beneath the surface and need to to see what in our hearts causes envy, and to do that, I want us to go to a story from the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. It's Numbers 11, and the context is this. About a year before this chapter, this story, God had set the people of Israel free from slavery, and they're, they're in the wilderness But God is guiding them. They're being guided by a pillar of of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And every morning, God is feeding them. He's miraculously providing manna for them. It's all there on the ground around their tents. They just have to get up, go outside, and, and pick it up. And this is what happens when we begin chapter 11. Now, the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. Verse four says, the rabble, and the, 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 the Christian Standard Bible translates this riffraff. So the rabble, the, the riffraff, you know, with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites, Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. And so they're weeping, they're wailing, and they continue through their tears. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. And the Lord became exceedingly angry. So the people of Israel, they're full of envy. 
They want someone else's lives. They're comparing their lives that they now have to other lives that they are imagining, and it's just damaging their souls. And I think I want to point out that I think the English translation in verse 6 is not the best. It's kind of unhelpful. The, the NIV says we have lost our appetite, but more literally, the Hebrew text says our souls are dried up. And this a Hebrew word translated soul has the idea of life force. And, and what we're seeing is what we've been talking about. Envy and comparison just dries up your, your soul force, your, your life. It's like that verse we read earlier, Proverbs 14, 30. Envy rots the bones. Envy leads to rot in the deepest part of our souls. As I said earlier, envy leads to a critical spirit about everything. And so these people who are being fed in the wilderness find themselves saying, this manna is terrible. It tastes nasty. And I bet it's not really healthy for us. It seems really high in carbs. <laughs> they just, they don't like anything. Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, once said that God concluded the Ten Commandments with this commandment, you shall not covet, which, by the way, is pretty much the same as envy. And Luther said, because if you keep that one commandment, the 10th commandment, you would keep all the others. Can you think of any sins that you've committed in your life? Just think back over your past, stuff that's really hurt you, stuff that's really damaged other people? Can you think of those sins and would you be willing to admit that so many of those things, you did them because you were envious? Because you coveted. See, it's the reason so often that we lie, that we steal, that we commit adultery, that we even kill someone because we envy, because we, we covet. That's why James 3.16, which we read earlier, says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. See, the truth is, envy is kind of a, a root sin, a, a sin that lies underneath the surface that gives rise to so many other sins. And I wanna point out to you three uh, root causes of envy that we can see in Numbers 11. And, and, and I believe that if we recognize these, that it'll allow us to uh, pull up the weed of envy by its roots. So write these down. Envy happens first when we forget God's past goodness. When we forget God's past goodness. In verse one, the people of Israel complained to the Lord about their hearts. And now think about this. It's just been a year since they were miraculously freed by God from slavery. They're, they're looking back at their slavery and they're saying stupid things like, sure, sure, we got beaten every day, but what about those cucumbers? <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 we ate everything in chains, but man, the onions and the leeks, they were exquisite. It's like they've totally forgotten God's unbelievable salvation, the plagues that got them out of Egypt, the, the parting of the Red Sea that destroyed their slave masters. It's like they're oblivious to where they have just been, where they still would be, had God not, in an act of sheer compassion, intervened in their lives. See, one of the things that envy does is it keeps us, keeps us unaware of what we actually deserve. And it makes us act like God owes us more than we'll ever deserve. You know, sometimes it's good just to stop, just to think about what we actually deserve. And I would actually highly recommend this, especially when you're having a bad day. When you're having a bad day, it's good to remind yourself of where you should be. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our sins, that we were by nature children of wrath, that we deserve God's judgment, that we deserve hell. Ephesians 2 goes on to say, but instead we are now children of God and the Holy Spirit is inside us to guide us every day. We live with the hope of eternal life that can never be taken away. And if you believe that, and if you remind yourself that, that can turn a bad day into a pretty good day. Amen? 
Okay, why do we have all that we have? Whatever it is that we have, why, why do we have it? Well, because God in his great kindness and his great mercy gave us his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins to set us free from sin's slavery. That's why Paul would write these words in Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, envy, envy happens in your life when you forget that, at least for today, maybe at least for this moment. You forget God's goodness to you in your past. Envy is also caused, secondly, it happens when we, we minimize God's present goodness. Envy, it just blinds us to the goodness of God and his blessings that are like right there in front of us, right in front of us. And the Israelites, they were saying, all we have is this manna. And if that's all we have, we're just gonna shrivel up and we're gonna die. But that was a lie. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses says that during the whole 40 years in the wilderness, their feet didn't swell. And, and back then, feet swelling was a sign of malnutrition. In other words, the manna really was enough. See, envy always assumes if all I have is what God gives me, if I have to trust only in him, that's never gonna be enough. My soul is gonna dry up. But listen to me, friends, that's always, always a lie. And tragically, that lie will keep you from enjoying what God has given to you now to enjoy now his present goodness. Do you realize that envy was at work in the Garden of Eden? Do you realize that God told Adam and Eve that they could eat from literally every tree in the garden except for one? And they thought, I bet that's the best one. I bet that's the one we're missing out on. Someone said, envy will make you think something is wrong even in paradise. It dries up your soul. It takes away your appetite to enjoy things. I heard someone who went through the terrible experience of having a throat and mouth cancer say, one of the worst parts of my cancer was losing my ability to taste, that food no longer tasted good. And that is exactly what envy does. It is a cancer that destroys your ability to enjoy God's present goodness. And maybe today you would be willing to admit that envy has made you unhappy in your marriage. It has made you unhappy in your job. Envy is what causes you to find just a flaw in everything. You're just critical about everything. You're unhappy and you're dissatisfied. And the reason is you envy. You have a cancer in your soul and it's drying up your life force. You're always feeling like you have to have more to be fully alive and that, that happy life that you want, it always seems like it's right over there somehow in that one tree that God has not allowed you to have yet. But again, it's a lie. You go, <laughs> go and read the book of Ecclesiastes sometime. And then come back and tell me if literally being the richest, the smartest, the most powerful man in all the world with the most girlfriends, if that would make you unhappy or make you happy. And the answer clearly is no. Envy happens, it's caused when we forget about God's goodness to us in our past when we minimize his goodness to us in the present, and then finally, it happens when we doubt God's future goodness. See, the, the people of Israel, they are forgetting that their circumstances are temporary. They are forgetting that God has already told them, literally, that they are on their way to a promised land, and that land will be flowing, God says, with, with milk and, and honey. That's what's in their future if they will just trust God. Now, I think as we think about this for us today, we need to be honest that there are some good things that you might want and it's okay to want and you might miss out on them for a few years. Maybe you're gonna miss out on those things for even your entire life, but even then, those deprivations are only temporary. 
I mean wealth, or a strong and healthy and beautiful body, or a great marriage, or a great family, or even vacations to Hawaii, you might not ever have those things. Maybe not ever in this life. But all of our present circumstances will one day, and the Bible says very soon, one day give way to those things that are permanent, that are ultimate, that can never be taken away from us, and that is Jesus Christ and his church and eternity. And on that day, God promises us that we will never forevermore suffer any lack. Psalm 17, 15 says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. See, when you're with Jesus, none of us is ever going to feel like we are missing anything. Amen? Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And friends, that is all the joy possible. That is pleasures that will never, never end. Heaven is coming. Eternity will get here one day. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, eternity literally cannot be described. And if somehow, some way, I could describe it to you, you wouldn't believe it. It's gonna be that good. And you see, because... I believe that God's goodness in the future is coming. I can be content with the imperfect, impartial blessings that I have now, even when there is much more that I want that I don't have yet. Because these small blessings, every blessing you have today, it is pointing toward something far greater. And one day you will receive it in fullness, that eternal promised land flowing with eternal milk and eternal honey. See, envy wants to keep us from all of that. So how do we deal with envy? That's our third question. How do we deal with envy? And there's two things I wanna point out. First, look at Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. It says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. So don't envy, it says. How? Well, be zealous for the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? Here's what it means. I'm gonna define it this way. You replace envy with worship. You replace envy with worship. In other words, your envy problem is a problem with worship, with what you worship. See, the more you fear God and reverence God and worship God, the less that you will envy. Why? Because... The more you truly worship God, the better that you will see that his goodness and his blessings and his presence and his love are, the less you will care about all those things in this world that you don't have. In other words, the solution to envy is to stop looking at all the things that we do not have in this world and start gazing into the eyes into the eyes of the one who is more beautiful and more valuable and more worthy and more loving than anything else in all the universe. That's actually what happens for the psalmist in Psalm 73. You get to the end of the psalm in verses 23 through 26 after he has been working through his envy and his resentment over all those things that other people had that he didn't have. This is what he concluded. He said, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is our portion. It's what we get. Is it enough? Is it enough for you? Is God enough for you? See, this is what the psalmist is saying. God, God, no matter what happens to me in this world, I know I have you, and I know there is nothing better than you. You, God, are my portion in this world, and one day, one day, God, you're gonna take me to glory where I will have you in all of your fullness. What else? What else can I desire? I don't need to envy now, because God, I have you. I have you. See, that's worship. That's worship. You replace envy with worship. And, and part of that worship is the second thing. You replace envy with God's presence and God's promise. God's presence now. In other words, God is always with you now. Is God with you right now today? Would you say amen? God is with us now. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And that is better than anything else. Amen? And God promises from now into eternity to give you more, more in eternity than, than anything you could ever wish you had in this life. You see, here's the thing about envy. We think that envy is a provision problem. Uh, it's a problem with what God has provided for us. It is never, never really a provision problem. Envy is always a presence problem. Envy is always a presence problem. And the problem isn't that God is not present. The problem is that we want God's provision more than we want God's presence. And that's what's going on in Numbers 11. You know, when you look at the whole story of the people of Israel in the wilderness, God was teaching those people far uh, more things about himself, things that were far more valuable than leeks or onions. He was teaching them about his presence. And, and you read the story, and it's clear his presence is with him every step of the way. He kept them from famine. He protected them from enemies, from war. They didn't get sick. They, they didn't have all the diseases of Egypt. Their, their clothes didn't wear out. You can read all about it if you go back to the Old Testament. But envy, envy was keeping them from seeing it or believing it. They were seeing, them because, seeing themselves because of envy as all alone and abandoned. They were deprived of the really good stuff in life. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Paul, Apostle Paul references this story and he says that the root of their envy was idolatry. Now, you go back to Numbers 11, you may look at it and say, well, I don't see any like little gold statues in this chapter. I don't see any idols that they're worshiping. But we talked about this before. You've heard me say before that idolatry is ultimately about when you love and you crave something more than God, when you think that something beyond God and God's plan for you is really what you need to experience the good life. And according to Jesus, in the Gospel of John chapter 6, According to Jesus, the manna symbolized Jesus. And what that means is that when they despised the manna, when they said the manna was not enough, they were despising Jesus. They were saying Jesus was not enough. You see, what they always had and what we always have in every situation is the presence of Jesus that never leaves us and his presence is supposed to be enough, enough. You see, if you have to choose between Jesus and cucumbers, melons, onions, you're always supposed to take Jesus, amen? Envy ultimately grows out of what we worship Envy also shows us what we worship. You see, envy, here's what I mean. You envy the people who have the thing you most worship. See, if, 
what you love is popularity and prestige, and you're gonna be envious of those people that have more friends, more influence, whatever, than, than you. If you love thinking of yourself as the perfect mom and homemaker, if that's where you find your worth and your identity, then you will envy other moms who seem to be doing it better than you are doing. If you worship the idea of being happily married or just of having a boyfriend or even of just being in love, then you will envy those who have a spouse or a boyfriend. You're always gonna be on the lookout for those people who have relationships that seem better than yours. If you idolize family stability, then that means you're gonna be envious of those people who look like they have better family dynamics than you. What you envy always reveals what you worship and that is where the ultimate problem is. And that is the only way, finally, to correct the problem. It's like Paul Tripp said, if you worshiped your way into envy, you have to worship your way out. And these two things really do go together. Worship is about leaning on and looking to God's presence and God's promise. And we can only Replace envy in our lives when we look to God's promises. We can only replace envy and deal with it when we lean on our future hope that this world is not all that there is. And what is ahead? It is so much better. I heard a story uh, this week that I'd never heard before. And it starts with something I was familiar with. I, I knew that very famous authors, J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, that they were really good friends. I, I knew that uh, Tolkien had led, actually led C.S. Lewis to the Lord there at Oxford. But what I didn't know in their story was that at some point, Tolkien became envious of Lewis. And, and as they were uh, being friends and talking together, they, they discussed writing the kinds of novels that they would wanna read. And so they, they set to that task. And C.S. Lewis, he started churning out novel after novel after novel. The Chronicles of Narnia, the Space Trilogy. I mean, all these, these books he kept writing, they were so popular. He was doing all this while J.R.R. Tolkien was like stuck on just one book, The Lord of the Rings. And he kept rewriting and rewriting and, and rewriting the chapters because nothing was ever as good as what he aspired to. And he got so frustrated with his lack of progress as he kept comparing himself to Lewis that he ended up getting writer's block. He ended up, he stopped working on the Lord of the Rings completely. And then one night he had a dream. And when he woke up, he wrote the dream down into a short story. And after that, he was okay. The story is called Leaf by Niggle. And it's a curious little story. Niggle was an artist commissioned by his town to make a mural. And so he worked and worked and worked on it. But after years of working on this mural, which was supposed to be this huge picture of this beautiful tree, he had only completed one little leaf. After years and years more, Niggle died. And after Niggle died in this dream and in this story, he was on a train to paradise. And as he was getting closer to paradise, he looked up and he saw, he saw before him on the hill, the tree complete and finished. And Tolkien realized that this was a picture of his life, that all of us, we only get to taste a little bit, just a little bit of the world to come. And some of us get more than others, but eventually, eventually all of us, we're going to get the whole tree. And so when you feel like you only have a leaf, you look toward heaven and you think about the day that you will receive the entire tree. See, the point, obviously, I think, is our knowledge of what is coming in the future that can help us remain content now when we are experiencing some lack of some blessing that we really wish we, we had. Now, the writer Jen Wilkins says, those who know good awaits them in heaven can be content with having little on earth. 
And by the way, by the way, uh, realizing this was what freed Tolkien from his writer's block. He was, he was freed of this pressure toward perfection. He ended up finishing The Lord of the Rings and he did all that so that all nerds today everywhere can enjoy four-hour movies, right? Let me sum it up like this. Envy, in the end, is about worship. What we worship today and what we will worship forever. And so I'm gonna close with this question. Envy is about a worship question and it's the question, it's the question that will solve your envy problem. Here's the question. When is Jesus going to be enough for you? When is Jesus going to be enough for you? And the day that you decide that Jesus is enough is the day that you begin to expose the envy in your heart. Because friends, listen to me. Jesus is really what you're longing for whenever you envy. Jesus is what your heart is searching for. Jesus is the living bread that truly feeds and truly will satisfy your soul. He is the true manna. And so, let your soul feast on Jesus because Jesus is enough. And his enough ends our envy. This is God's word for us today. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, we ask that you would expose the the envy in our hearts, Lord, so that we can see it and so that we can repent of it, so that we can get rid of it. Lord, help us in each of our lives to understand why it is we envy, why we are, are wanting some things or maybe some people more than we want you. Would you expose, Lord, the lies that tell us that you are not enough? Lord, we ask that you would help us to be satisfied in you, both now and forever. And Lord, we pray, we pray all of these things in the sweet and strong, the precious and wonderful name of your son, Jesus. Jesus the Christ, Jesus our Savior, Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said together, Amen.